great morning already. I hope you agree with that. Uh, it's always exciting to see uh, anyone follow the Lord in believer's baptism. That is such, that is such a moment uh, in their life and for the life uh, of the church. So, uh, man, just celebrating with that this morning, celebrating a wonderful time of worship. Uh, if you have not already, make sure you check in on social media, share the Facebook live stream of the service. Uh, just encourage your friends uh, to be kind of checking in and seeing what God is up to here in the course of our service this morning. And then once you've done those things, uh, open up your Bible to Exodus chapter 17, Exodus chapter 17. Now, um, we are in this series, and I really don't know how long or how far I'm going to go with it yet, but we're talking about the names of God, and uh, kind of names are important because, as we mentioned in the first week, uh, you'll often start off with titles with someone that you don't know well, but as you get to know them, you start to refer to them by a more familiar name, and, and names mean things. And so, there are 16 different names uh, of God in the scripture. Most of the time, you don't necessarily recognize them uh, because we usually see Jehovah or, or God or Lord, L-O-R-D, uh, in all capital letters or sometimes in not all capital letters. And those are usually the only references we have to the names of God. But there's some really rich and wonderful names of God in the scripture that help us to understand who he is better, that help us to relate to him better and uh, understand his love for us in a much more profound and, and beautiful way. So, so far we have talked about that in beginning Genesis 1-1, we see him as an Elohim God. And Elohim means that our God is omnipotent, he's all powerful, that he's omniscient, which means he's all knowing, and that he is supreme, he's the source of all authority. That's, that's our, our um, Elohim God in the very first verse of Scripture. And then later we're introduced to a, a different term for God, Yahweh. And Yahweh simply means that God is eternal. He's always been. No one came before, no one will come after. He has always been. So we have an omnipotent, omniscient, supreme God that has always been. And then we were introduced to another term called Adonai. If he's all those things, and he is, then he is entitled to be our Lord and Master. That's Adonai. And so if we call him Adonai, then we're confessing who he is. All those, those other terms recognize the attributes of God, but Adonai is a personal thing about who he is to us, and he should be our Lord and Master. And when these young ladies got baptized this morning, they are affirming through that act of baptism that he is their Adonai, their Lord and master. And so those were the first things that we looked at. And then last Sunday, we looked at, he's our Jehovah Ra. The Lord is our shepherd. And we walked all the way through Psalm 23 uh, last Sunday. Then after we got through last Sunday, uh, everybody went home. And most of us got ready to watch the Super Bowl, right? And, and, and you know, <laughs> I had somebody ask me uh, in the previous week heading up to last Sunday, uh, well, do you do a Super Bowl party? And I'm like, not a chance. Why? Because if you're a fan, 
and you actually watch football, this is the reason you watch football all year long is so that you can watch the Super Bowl because that's the end of the season. And I tried uh, Super Bowl parties uh, a few times. And uh, what I realized is that people who come to Super Bowl parties, they couldn't care less about the Super Bowl. Right? It's about the party part of that. Woo, party! Like, would y'all be quiet? I'm trying to watch the game. So, so after a few efforts at Super Bowl parties, I just gave up on that because if I've watched all year, I want to watch the game. All right. By the same token, those guys that are in the game, that's what they played all season long for, right? They, they went to training camp in August. They began preparing and every time they put their uniform on, every time they exercised, every time they drilled, practiced, rehearsed, it was with this goal in mind was to get to the Super Bowl. And those two teams... They went out on the field last Sunday afternoon and they got down in their stances across the field from each other and they prepared to do battle for the next three plus hours. Now, they knew it was coming, right? I mean, that's the whole reason that they'd been playing this game of football for the last many, many months now. They knew before they got on that field that they were gonna put their hands in the dirt, they were gonna uh, look somebody across the field in the eye, and they were gonna try to knock the bejeebers out of each other for the next three and a half hours. They were gonna try to clean the clock of everybody in a different colored uniform on the other side of the field. They were gonna try to impose their will on that other person in a different color jersey in order to win the game. That's the point. That's the purpose. Now, listen, it's hard enough to do good when you're prepared for the battle. And they were. They were totally prepared for the battle. And it's hard enough to do what you want to do in the battle when you're prepared for it. Just ask San Francisco. Didn't turn out quite the way they had planned. But it's even harder when you're not prepared if a battle is coming. And this morning, I want to rephrase that slightly because as a Christian, as a Christ follower, as the young ladies who, who just declared their allegiance to the Lord in baptism, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to know this morning, it's not if a battle is coming, it's when. Because a battle is coming. If you're a Christ follower this morning, a battle is coming. And that's when you really, really need to know that one of the names of God is that he is Jehovah Nissi. He is my banner. The Lord is my banner. Let's pray. Father, as we open up your word this morning and we look at this incredible, wonderful name, the Lord is my banner. God, would you help us to understand what it means to us in, in so many different ways. God, everybody here is dealing with different things, different stages of life, different challenges. But Lord, wherever they are, I pray that somehow through the, through the miracle of the Holy Spirit that you will just take these words and, and, and the words of Scripture and, and God, just uh, apply it specifically, individually, so that everyone here this morning 
walks away with a deep sense of appreciation and wonder and awe that the Lord is our banner. So God bless your word, bless your people. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Amen. All right. So this is what we're going to talk about this morning. The Lord is my banner. He is Jehovah Nissi. Now, we're going to look at a story this morning of God's people engaged in an interesting situation which led to the declaration that God is our banner. The Lord is our banner. So Exodus chapter 17 And we're going to begin looking in verse 7 of Exodus 17. So verse 7, I'm reading from the New King James. So he called the name, and this is Moses. Moses called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the contention of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord, saying, well, is the Lord among us or not? Now, let me just set the stage a little bit here for those first six verses that lead up to this declaration by Moses. If you're familiar with any of this story at all, God had sent Moses down to uh, Egypt to say, hey, Pharaoh, let my people go. My people have been in slavery for 400 years. I'm ready to take them back to the promised land. So God had showed up and miraculously watched the children of Israel be freed and delivered from slavery. They had defeated the army through God's power of Egypt as uh, the, the, the army of Egypt ran after them after they left. And now they're beginning to move through the desert on their way to the promised land. And over and over and over again, they complained and complained and complained out of, in spite of all of the wonderful, fantastic things that God had done for them. They just kept complaining. And in this particular verse in Exodus 17, 7, uh, Moses named the place Massa and Meribah because of their contention. And they were over there saying, is the Lord among us? Or is he not? In other words, is God really, you know, listen, we, we're, in the, we're in the desert. How come we're not already in the promised land? How come we're not already where he said we would wind up? How come it's not already flowing with milk and honey? How come it's not already as easy as we could ever want it to be? How come it's not everything that he said it was going to be already? Their focus was all on them, not on the promises of God, not on what he was doing while they were there. It was all, how come it's not already what I want it to be? God, you said it was going to be this. How come it's not already? Lord, what are you doing? Is God really here or not? Is he going to do this with us or are we just doing this on our own? You ever got to that point? I think if we're being honest, a lot of us have felt like that at certain stages of our Christian walk. We may have even felt like that in our church. Is God with us or is he not? Is he really going to do this thing with us? Is he going to live up to all the promises he's made to us? Or are we just going to do this on our own? And that's where they were. Now, in verse 8, if you look in, in your uh, passage of Scripture again, seventeen eight. Now, Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. 
Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. Out of nowhere, they got attacked by Amalek. And they didn't see it coming. They didn't know it was coming. You know, I said it's hard enough to be ready to win the battle if you know it's coming. It's a lot harder when you don't see it. And here God's people, they got attacked and they didn't see it coming. Now, how in the world can you not see it coming if you're wandering through the desert? How do you not see it? Well, I'll tell you how they didn't see it, church. It was all about them. They were focused on themselves. And when you focus only and primarily on yourself, you become really, really vulnerable. Do you know that it's almost impossible to protect yourself if you're looking at yourself? You realize that? Think about that for a second. How do you protect yourself if you're looking at yourself? Does that make sense? I mean, if you want to protect yourself, who do you need to be looking at? The one you're in the battle with, right? That's who you need to be looking at. The only way that you're going to engage in a battle and win is if you're looking at the person that you are actually in the battle with. And if you're just focused on yourself so you can have what you want and you feel protected, you will become more vulnerable than ever. You need to be looking with open eyes, ready eyes, watching for that enemy of your soul who is seeking whom he may devour. And it's hard enough when you see it coming and it's really, really hard when you don't see it coming. So who were these Amalekites? Who was Amalek? Why did they attack Israel? Where, what in the world is going on here? Well, if you know anything about Old Testament history, then you know that, that the Israelites usually and often referred to themselves as the children of Abraham, Isaac, and what's the last part? Jacob. Jacob. Okay. The children of Israel referred to themselves as the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, God had made a promise to Abraham in Genesis that he was going to build a great nation through Abraham. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac became the father of Jacob. That's why the Israelites said we're, we're the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But you may or you may not know that Jacob was not an only child. Jacob had a twin brother by the name of Esau. They were born at the same time. And Jacob and Esau were about as different as two twin brothers could possibly be. <laughs> Some of you may remember this movie from way, way back. And, and you could not find two more completely diametrically different people to quote unquote be twins than Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito. And that should give you a sense of how different Jacob and Esau actually were. Now, as it happens, Esau was the older brother. He was born before Jacob. And 
as young men, somewhere along the line, Jacob worked out in, I mean, uh, Esau worked out in the field all the time. He was kind of a man's man. Uh, Jacob was more of a, a homeboy. And Esau came home one day and he was famished, just completely wore out. And uh, he was, man, he needed food, something terrible. And he sold his birthright, which was a big deal. He sold his birthright to Jacob for a bowl of soup. Now, I don't know how good the soup is going to be for Oasis, but I don't, probably most people aren't going to want to sell their birthright for that bowl of soup. But, but Esau did. That's how desperate he was. And that put, man, did that drive a wedge between the two of them. So already now we've got a real problem. Well, then to make matters worse, Jacob decided to fool his dad, Isaac. Isaac was almost blind. He could barely see he fixed himself up to make him uh, appear to his almost blind father as Esau. And since Esau was the older of the two, Esau had a special blessing that was due him from his father. Jacob had already gotten his birthright because Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of soup. And now Jacob basically weaseled his way into the first child blessing that was due Esau, but Jacob got it. And as soon as Jacob got it, Jacob ran as fast as he possibly could and got as far away from his brother. And in every way that you can think, Jacob over here and Esau over there were as far apart and as different as two twin brothers could possibly be. Well, What does that got to do with anything? Well, you might realize and you might know that maybe you've experienced this in your own life. Old grudges die hard. And sometimes old grudges don't die at all. You may remember that Jacob had this wrestling match with God. Climbing Jacob's ladder. Maybe that's a story you're familiar with. And in the process of all that, Jacob's name was changed. Jacob, his name was changed to Israel. So the Israelites were basically, they were Jacob. Because Jacob's name had become Israel, Jacob became the father of the Israelites. Guess who the Amalekites were descendants of? Esau. So without warning, Jacob was attacked by his brother Esau. Not Jacob and Esau themselves, but their families. You know what, church? Here's the way Satan works. Sometimes... Your past life will hit you out of nowhere. And you won't see it coming. Or old relationships that went bad and never were made peace with, they will come at you from behind and you'll never see it coming. It's hard enough when you see it coming 
it's much harder when you don't. And how you see God and how you respond to God in that moment will make all the difference in the world. So let's see how God's people responded to this. Look at verse 9. Exodus 17, 9. Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men, go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I'll stand up on top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So, hey, Joshua, get some guys and let's take the fight on. Go to the fight. Do you know how most of us deal with conflict? (laughs) We don't, right? Isn't that how most of us deal with conflict? We don't deal with it at all. In fact, we we don't run to it. We run from it. And Moses is saying, hey, Joshua, the conflict is here. Go deal with it. You know, church, most of us do not like to deal with conflict. We just don't. But here's what I can promise you. I've experienced this in my own life because, hey, I don't want to get tangled up in conflict either. I think the normal person is just not looking for conflict. Sure, there are some out there. Man, they just live for it. You know who they are. But that's not normal. Most normal people just don't want to engage in conflict. But I've experienced this, and probably most of you have too. If you don't deal with conflict, guess what? It'll deal with you. And you usually won't like the outcome. Because it's almost a guaranteed recipe of how to lose. If you don't deal with the conflict, the conflict will deal with you and you are likely to lose. And so how you begin to lean on God when a conflict catches you off guard by surprise will wind up really having a great deal to do with what the outcome of that is going to look like. So let's, let's say, how, how did they deal with it? Let's pick up the story again in verse 10. So Joshua did as Moses said to him, and he fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was, when Moses held up his hand, then Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. Up, they're winning. Down, they're losing. But Moses' hands became heavy. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And so Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And then the Lord said to Moses, write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called its name The Lord is my banner, Jehovah Nissi. So that's where we get the name, The Lord is my banner, Jehovah Nissi, from. And I want to make a few observations about what that means for you and me this morning. So, The Lord is my banner. First of all, that means that He is my leader and He's my identity. Now, you might notice that I I have on a a West Point uh, sweatshirt this morning, 
And uh, you guys know, I was, I was in the Army. I, I, I love West Point. I didn't go to West Point, but I visited there several times. I'm fascinated with the place. <clears throat> but in the military, in the Army, and, and really all of the other uh, branches as well, but since I was in the Army, uh, this is what I am familiar with. Uh, in the Army, you have probably watched units in a parade, and every unit has got a flag, right? They've all got a flag. And in most cases, that flag looks a lot like what you see on the screen. Uh, every unit has what is called a guide-on. It's a G-U-I-D-O-N. It's a guide-on, and it, that is a flag that looks like a swallow-tailed flag. It has a little V on the end and kind of two points on the, uh, on the, the side out there. And so every unit has a guide on that does a couple of things. It identifies the unit and it identifies the commander. And so every day uh, when, when a, a unit is in garrison, not out in the field or in conflict or in battle, every day that a unit commander comes in, the guide on goes up and it declares to everyone this is who we are and our leader is in. And at the end of the day, when the commander goes home, the guide on goes back inside. In battle, as long as the guide on is flying, then those people that are identified with that unit know we still have somebody leading this unit. We still have a mission to achieve that is my banner. That is my flag. I have a leader. He's still in the battle, and I'm with him. So my banner, Jehovah Nissi, means that he is my leader, and he is my identity. See, when I went into the army, and many of you who served in, in army or different branches, the same thing is true for you. When you go into the army, you are serving in a same unit with people with all sorts of different backgrounds. People from all walks of life, all sorts of different kinds of experiences, all different ages, all different gifts, all different skills, all different abilities and talents, all different sorts of personalities. And you know what? When you put on that unit patch and you have the guide on flying, you know what? Nothing else matters it doesn't matter how much money you had before you got in that unit it doesn't matter how little you had it doesn't matter what kind of trauma you've been through in your life or how little trauma you've been through in your life nothing else matters there is one thing that matters and that is my unit and we are in this together that is my identity everything else is secondary. Well, there was a, um, I remember I was a senior in high school uh, in 1980 during the Winter Olympics. And one of the coolest things I've ever seen was the U.S. Olympic hockey team uh, won the gold medal that year. How many of you remember that? I, and listen, I couldn't, I was in the South, man. I couldn't, I didn't even know what hockey was hardly. I didn't care. Man, that's country, USA, and we beat Russia. Woo! Man, I was so thrilled with that thing. 
And, and so, you know, I, I, I tried to find out as much as I could. There are all sorts of, you know, news articles about this. And the coach of the team was a guy by the name of Herb Brooks. And he said a couple of things that were really fascinating uh, as they talked about what happened in the course of winning the gold medal. So I want to share this, this quote with you. He said, when you, when you pull on that jersey, you represent yourself and your teammates. And the name on the front of the jersey is way more important than the one on the back. Then he also said this. He said, we're looking for players whose name on the front of the sweater is more important than the one on the back. And, and the one on the front is the team you're playing for. The one on your back is your personal identity. And he's saying, you know what? The kind of players that we want, we didn't really care what their name was on the back. We didn't care what their background was. We didn't care what they had or what they didn't have. What we cared about was, do they care more about the name on the front than the name on the back? He said, I look for these players to play hard and to play smart and to represent their country. Nobody expected the United States to win a gold medal. You know why? Because these are all, all college guys. You know who the Russians were? They were professional hockey players. They'd been playing professional hockey for their entire life. They got paid to play. They were grown men with lots and lots of experience. And these guys were college guys who came from all sorts of different schools. They had never played together. They didn't know each other. And that's why Herb Brooks said, listen, I don't care how good they are. I'm looking for kids. I'm looking for players who really don't care about the name on the back. What they care about is the name on the front because that is the only way you win. And church, we have to understand as followers of Jesus Christ that as our Lord is our banner, he's our identity. The name on the back of your jersey doesn't matter anymore. It's the name on the front. It's Jesus, 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 Jesus. Yes. And as long as you worry about the name on the back, when the fight comes to you and the battle will come, when the battle comes, you're going to go down in a blaze of glory. And people think, well, you know, that's good. I mean, I went out, I went out fighting. No, no, you want to go out winning. You want to go out winning. And as long as you're focused on the name of the back, you're going down. I don't care how good it looks, you're going down. And so as we belong to Jesus Christ, he becomes our banner. He becomes our identity. And nothing else matters. We have to bring that same sort of mindset into church. Because we've all got our own little thing on the back of our jersey. Right? We've all got our own experiences. 
We've all got the things that we want to see do. You know, we want this to happen or that to happen or whatever to happen. And as long as we're all playing for the name on the back of our jersey in our churches, whether it's this one or any other church of anybody that's watching online, it doesn't matter what's the name on the back of your jersey. If that's the one that you're trying to promote inside these walls or other walls, then the church is going to go down. Because the way you win in your life, the way the church wins in its corporate life, is that the name on the front has always got to be more important than the one on the back. That's the way that we win. The Lord is our banner. And so that means he's my leader and he's my identity. It also means that he's my, my rally point. He's my rally point. Now, what in the world does that mean? So as I mentioned to you, the guide on, the the flag of the particular unit that you're in, it's a visual indicator of where your unit is. And so what that means is, if I get a little out of kilter, I I know where to go, right? I might see a flag flying over here, and it might be a unit that, that, that I, I know who they are, but it's not my unit. They got a different mission than I got. But when I see my guide on my banner flying, then I know that's my place. That's where I go to rally. And let's just talk about rally for a second. I think if we're all being honest, we, I mean, we'll all admit that the world is pretty good at beating us up. I think probably more than we'd like to admit, we come in here on a Sunday morning and man, we're, we're exhausted. The world has hammered at you for the last six days and it's hammered and hammered and hammered. And you come into church, whether it's here at Orchardville or somewhere else, you come into church and it's just all you can do sometimes to just get here. Because you're tired. And church, we all need sometimes a rally. You ever been to a pep rally? It's a fun thing to do. Uh, I, you know, I, I played football uh, through high school. I wasn't good enough to play college football, but I played high school football. And uh, I love playing in the game. But... <laughs> But I can't be honest with you, I think I like the pep rally as much or maybe even more than the game. The pep rally was a blast. And, and you know, at the pep rally, nobody was opposing you, right? At the pep rally, we're all together. At the pep rally, the, the only people that are there are your team, the people on the same side of the coin. And as, as you get together and you start to encourage one another... All of a sudden, you start to feel like, hey, you know what? We're going to beat the heck out of that team. We're going to play tonight. You need to feel the same way when you leave here on Sunday. Amen. Amen. Hey, there's a guy on the other side of the field that I'm getting ready to walk out these doors and go play. We're going to beat the heck out of him when we walk out these doors. Amen. Amen. Do you know how often the Bible refers to encourage one another? 
Encourage the brethren. Encourage one another. When we come to church, it is not to get beat down and run over. It is to be filled up, rallied, and go out and beat the enemy. And man, there is no better feeling than running out on the field and beating the enemy. He is our rally point. Sometimes when you go, well, it's always planned. You usually hope it doesn't happen, but sometimes it does. Before you go into a battle, there's always a backup plan. Uh, Maybe you've heard the saying that, you know, every every battle plan is good until the bullet starts flying. You've heard that? Like, hey, man, the plan's great until the bullets start flying, and then it's all a mess. And so you have a battle plan in your unit, and you know what it is that you're supposed to do. But if it all falls apart, then before the, the battle even begins, you have what is called a rally point. And before you even start, you say, hey, this particular place on the map, that's our rally point. If it all starts to fall apart, you retreat, you pull back, and you go to this place, and it is our rally point. And you'll go back there, and that flag is flying, and you all sort of come together, and you regroup. That's what we do every Sunday. We come together every Sunday to regroup get our our act together again and go out and take on the enemy and plan to beat him to death. Sometimes we win, sometimes we don't, but it is always the plan and every week we come back to our rally point to make sure that we've got all the courage that we need and the ammunition that we need to go out and fight the fight for another week. The Lord is my banner. He's my rally point. And the last thing this morning, I'm going to ask the praise team to come to the platform. He's my victory. He's my victory. Do you know in battle, when a capital is defeated or an embassy is overthrown, do you know one of the first things that they do? is they take down the flag of the country that is represented by that capital or that embassy and they raise a new flag. The victor. The victor raises a flag. A banner flying is a symbol of victory. And when you look at the story in Exodus 17, as long as Moses' hands were up, they were winning. When Moses' hands went down, they were losing. You know what that means? That means when God's lifted up in your life, you win. And when God is lowered in your life, you're losing. When God is lifted up, you win. That's why John the, 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 John the Baptist in John 3.30, he said he must increase and I must what? Decrease. You know why? Because when he increases, when he's lifted up, we win. John said he must increase and I must 
decrease. You want to win the battle? Well, we serve a commander that already has won. He's my victory. And when I raise him up, then I'm right in there in the victory with him. But when I lower him in my life, when I stop looking at him in my life, that's when I start to lose. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 10, 30, he said, he who finds his life loses it. Yeah, you can find your life. You can have your way. And if you do, you'll lose it. But he who loses his life for my sake, he'll find it. You know, I think we have raised victimhood status to this really special thing, you know, in our culture today. Everybody wants to be a victim. Well, I've had this done to me. Well, I've had that done to me. Well, you don't know what I've been through. No, I know a few of what you've been through. I don't know what everybody's been through, but you know who does know what you've been through? Jesus. Jesus knows what you've been through. And Jesus is not a loser. Jesus is a winner. He overcame death and hell. He overcame the grave. And he's going to overcome that great dragon, that great serpent at the end of all time. Jesus Christ is the winner. Amen. Amen. And he calls us to live in victory, not in defeat. It's time for us as followers of Jesus Christ to stop being victims, to stop living in defeat, to stop living in what happened to me in the past. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he's living no matter what men may say. I see his hand of mercy. I hear his voice of cheer. And just the time I need him, he's always near. He is the victory. And if we raise him up, then we stand in victory with him. And when we let him drop from the radar, then we're going to pay the price. He is my leader and my identity. That's what it means by being my banner. He's my rally point when I need it. And he's my victory. So I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know what's going on in your life. You do, and the Lord does. Maybe you need to know, and maybe you need to acknowledge this morning that the name on the back isn't nearly as important as the name on the front. And you just need to get that squared away this morning. You need to recommit to that. Maybe you just need encouragement. And the Lord will meet you where you are. He's, he, he never chastises us for where we are. He just calls us to move closer to him. And if you need encouragement this morning, come up here. Meet him at the rally point. And if you just need to live in victory and stop living in the past and stop living in defeat, come claim it. Come live it this morning. If you need to 
put on the jersey for the first time and call the Lord into your life as your Lord and Savior. I'd love to talk to you about that. Come talk to me. Come ask me. We'll pray. Invite Christ into your life. Change everything. I ask everyone to stand. Father, as we finish this message this morning and we realize that you are our banner, that means so many wonderful, powerful things. So God, whatever your children need this morning, I pray that you'll give them the unction, the the courage to step out. Lord, that first step is always the hardest. Do I move? Do I not move? Lord, let's just live in victory. As long as we're afraid to move, we're living in defeat. So God, let us claim victory this morning and do whatever it is that we need to do so that you are honored, Lord, and glorified in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.